All right, we're going to talk about families today. It'll have, uh, look, this is a relevant talk to us. I know a lot of us do not have kids, or we might now have adult kids, but we will most likely, at some stage down the line, be parents. And if we're not parents now, if we're not parents even in the future, you know, we are part of a church where we can be spiritual parents to our kids. You know, there's over 50 families that come along with this church. There's literally over 100 kids now who come along on a Sunday. And so this is relevant because we are the children of God. We are the family of God together. So that's my little caveat to say, I know this might not be the most relevant sermon to everyone tonight. But it is also where we are up to in the book of Ephesians. And it is just great to preach the word of God, um, preach it as it lands to us. And hopefully there'll be some really good stuff that is still relevant to us this evening. Um, I love families. It's probably why I've ended up living in the same house as my parents. Uh, You know, you do 20 years with them. Then I kind of moved overseas. It was 20 years away. And now we're back under the same roof. Come on. So it's got some benefits. The the babysitting is lovely. and, And I love my parents. Um, there was a new couple this morning and they were talking to my dad and then they met me and it's like, yes, I am morphing into him. <laughs> it's just happening a little sooner than I thought it would. But, you know, he is a good godly man, so that is a good thing. Um, but families, of course, are so diverse, so colourful. It isn't always straightforward. Family can be messy. My son, Luca, who is six, he surprised me the other day. He came up to me, he said, Dad, Dad... Am I adopted? <laughs> and, and I paused for a second and I finally said to him, yes, Luca, at two you were adopted. Uh, but they found you a bit of a handful, so they gave you back to me. <laughs> uh, today's passage on don't exasperate your children. So I probably should wipe that one from the record. Well, we're continuing today this section in Ephesians, in the household codes, in Paul's letter to the church He planted in Ephesus. What we're saying is that in light of the gospel story, the amazing grace that we have received, forgiveness, redemption, adoption into the children of God, it is going to reshape every part of our lives, our virtues, our relationships, our priorities. Um, Last Sunday, we looked at this beautiful picture of marriage where verse 21, we are told that in marriage, we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that we then learn how to love one another as Christ loved the church in our relationships. So today we get to chapter 6 and the relationship between parents and children. If you've got a Bible, or it will be up here as well. Ephesians 6, 1, 2, 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you. And that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's interesting to me that uh, God's redemptive plans all the way through the Bible has always involved families. Uh, And like a lot of our families, they have been complex, dysfunctional, and even at times at war with one another. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing if you read the Old Testament that how much of a mess families get themselves into. And yet God in his faithfulness remains true to his promise that he is going to bless the world through 
family. It starts, of course, with Genesis 12, when God promises to Abraham that he will take his family and make them into a great nation, blessed by God. And then through this one family that becomes the nation of Israel, verse 3, it says, all people on earth will be blessed through you. So God uses a family to carry his blessing to the world. So as I said, it's a pretty torrid tale in the Old Testament. Uh, Families betray each other, cheat on each other and so on. And yet through it all, God is faithful and the promise continues. Because he loves his children and he longs for the world, including families, to be put right again. So the blessing continues in families by being passed along through teaching our children. So it's meant to go through. This blessing is meant to go down through the generations as they teach their children and raise them and instruct them in the things of the Lord. Now, listen to Genesis 18, which is our next slide, verses 18 to 19. God says, Abraham will surely become a great nation and a powerful nation. And all the nations will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. You still with me? Do you see God's plan? He forms a family that will be blessed in order to bless all the families on earth. But to do that, his children and household are to be directed to keep the ways of the Lord by doing what? What is right and what is just. So Israel were to be a nation of families that instructed their children on what is the right thing and what is the just thing to do. Now, when it works... It is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. Generational blessings of faithfulness and honour and life and justice. And we see that today. You know, you meet these families, don't you? Where they just love the Lord together. And, and, and the love and the light of the Lord shines through their entire extended family. And you can just see that through their faithfulness and their compassion and their love that there's something different about them. They end up being a blessing to all those around them. And when it doesn't happen, holy moly how the wheels can fall off. See, human nature and its selfish, controlling, coercive nature can rear its ugly head in families. And it is so sad when families fall apart for everyone. So, practically... This Genesis 18 thing of directing your children in the way of the Lord, how does it happen? Well, practically, God gives his people a book of distilled wisdom. And does anyone know what that book's called? Proverbs. Chris, there's a reason you're the kids' pastor. You got all the answers, buddy, which is good because you're helping me raise my kids in the Lord. All right. So God gives the people of, of, of Abraham... The book of Proverbs, that goal is to teach the next generation of Abraham's family how to live. In general terms, the book of Proverbs could be called How Not to Shipwreck Your Life, right? It's kind of all these lessons and wisdom on how not to make a complete mess of things. And then on the other hand, 
how to receive his blessings and to, to learn how to do what is right. So the book explains the general pattern of life. It's not a guarantee, do these things, nothing will go wrong. But it gives wisdom for a well put together life, right? It's all there. It's not a mystery. We don't need to climb a mountain in Nepal and meditate on the meaning of life and wisdom. God has given it to us down through the generations in the word of God. So parents were to take the wisdom of Proverbs that they had learned from their parents and raise their children in the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Now, listen to Proverbs 1. See if you can hear the echo of the command to Abraham. So this is how the book of Proverbs begins. The Proverbs, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just, And fair knowledge and discretion to the young. So there it is again. The the goal of Proverbs is that these kids will learn what is right and just. And that's what Abraham was directed to do in Genesis 18. Right? So then verse 8 of Proverbs. Listen to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Right? Clearly Proverbs is for Kids to learn the ways of God. Then it gets really practical. Now, I don't have time to read to you all 31 chapters today, but it's good stuff. Like, read Proverbs. If you need a daily devotional, read Proverbs. There's a great start. Some examples. 1.10. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. 2.16. Wisdom will save you from the adulterous woman. 3.3, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them round your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. Right? It's practical wisdom for us to learn how to live well. How not to shipwreck your life. Teach your kids this. Right? Like in Proverbs, you find all these warnings against get-rich-quick schemes, against lying, against using your words to cause harm, and encouragements to trust the Lord, to work hard, to be honest, and to be faithful. Were you guys taught this stuff by your parents? It's a good question, isn't it? Like, was it, was it fished out to Sunday school? Or have you been in a family that has taught the ways of the Lord down through the generations? So Proverbs is probably the most helpful book on child raising ever written. It is glorious. It is beautiful. And, and of course, we have that mandate to continue teaching our children wisdom. What does it say in the New Testament? Who is the wisdom of God? Jesus Christ. So God loves families. He uses them to pass on knowledge of the Lord and as the building blocks of cohesive, healthy churches, healthy communities, and I would even suggest healthy nations, right? As families go, so goes the state of the kind of society that we live in. Now, if that's the goal, families as depositories of God's blessings and righteousness, we know, don't we, that sadly that isn't the reality of the world around us. And it certainly wasn't the case in Jesus' day. So we talked last week about how this section in Ephesians was written as a challenge to the prevailing norms of what was called the Roman household code. Remember that from last week? So the ancient world, as today, there was a well-known code of conduct, if you like, for how society should function. 
particularly around three relationships. Um, Husbands and wives, parents and children, and masters and slaves. And in the ancient world, the head of all three sets of relationships was the same person. It was the bloke with all the power. And in general, there was a power dynamic that was unbalanced, coercive, and toxic. Now, when it came to children, under Roman law, they were simply not valued. Scholar William Barclay notes that under the patria potestas, which is Latin for power of a father, a Roman father had absolute power over his children. He could sell his own children as slaves. He could put them in chains and make them work in the fields until they collapsed. Uh, He could even punish them as he liked. I've mentioned before the ancient practice of exposure. Uh, It was within the rights of a Roman father to take a child that he no longer wanted and to leave him on the city trash heap. And the idea was that the child would be exposed to the elements and would eventually just pass away, or a slave trader could come, pick up that child, and sell them into slavery. That was the world into which Jesus came. Okay, children were simply of no value. Uh, And can I just say, while it may not be as extreme today as then, I would argue that so many of the issues of children in our society is a different kind of exposure, right? Parents basically absconding their responsibility to teach their children right from wrong and what is just and letting them run amok. Or maybe even modelling their own immorality and then wondering why their children have no sense of right from wrong. Um, Recent issues around consent and sexual assault amongst high school children I think highlights this, right? Like... Why has there been no sense of what is right and wrong being instilled in these children? And then these alcohol-fueled assaults apparently becoming just normal amongst teenagers. So into that. Children as an afterthought, not valued, not taught, not loved, comes Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. (laughs) Thank God for Jesus. It's a little story, but again, hear what I'm about to talk about in light of what Israel was meant to be doing with its children. Listen to it in light of how children were treated in the ancient world. Jesus comes to set things right. Matthew 19:13. Then the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Now just stop there. Why do the disciples try and stop children from coming to Jesus? Now, my guess is because they are infected with this idea that children had no value. Verse 14, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. That's such a great little story. You know, Jesus the revolutionary is just at work all the way through the Gospels, turning upside down the norms of his culture and society and putting things back the right side up. Right? Jesus says, do not hinder the children from coming to me. Do not hinder them. 
Parents, don't we dare do anything that stops a child from coming to Jesus. For me, it's one of the strongest things that Jesus says in all of the Gospels. And we've got to question ourselves. Are we in any way hindering our children from coming to Jesus? Or have we caught the Jesus bug? And we're now treating our children with dignity and value and worth and wanting to invest into our kids the love and life of God. All right, so we get to today's passage. Children, obey and honour your parents. Parents, bring up children in the training and instruction of the Lord. Does it make sense now? Should kind of preach itself from here on in. Now that we know the story of Israel. So we're saying last week that in these household codes, the only authority and power went in one direction. Husband over wives, parents over children, masters over slaves. It gets subverted by Ephesians 5.21 to spirit-filled, gospel-filled children of God. Paul exhorts everyone, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So everyone willingly Going in both directions, husbands to wives, wives to husbands, parents to children, children to parents, slaves to masters, masters to slaves. All of us get down low. Get down low and submit yourself to one another. Learn the way of service and love out of reverence for Christ. Right? So, how does it work for children and parents? Well, children, and I know there's not a whole lot of like, young kids here tonight, but children, the way to subject to our, be subject to our parents is to obey and honour them as they teach you the ways of the Lord, right? Listen and learn their wisdom. And for parents, now I think this is important, parents, being subject to your children happens by what? In that culture? Children not valued, children not loved, children just sent away. Someone else's problem. How do we be subject to our children? Well, we do it by getting down low and being intentional in the way that we love them. In the way that we teach them and build them up to know and follow the Lord. Right? That's what our service to our children looks like. Reshaped by the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit, I get to serve my kids by actively investing in their lives, creating the paths for them to know Jesus and live well. And my kids serve me by listening and putting into practice the wisdom and ways that I'm trying to instill into them. All right, let's just finish really quickly. Just some little application points for us as kids, for us as parents, for future parents, for potential spiritual parents. In the family of God. Amen? All right. Now, the truth is, these four verses are not long enough to go into the complex nature of families, particularly when they're not functioning or when they have disintegrated. What we do have in this section, in the household codes, is a high conception of how children and parents are meant to function in the family of God. Right? Obviously, we are not to obey and honour our parents if they are teaching us how to steal cars or to enter into the narcotics trade, okay? That's some stuff that we can put to the side. But 
This is talking about an honour and an obedience that works within the relationship of children and parents in the faith, filled with the Holy Spirit and submitting to one another. Now, I won't say too much on children obey your parents, as there aren't too many young ones here listening this this evening. But I do think the bit about honouring our parents applies to all of us and it doesn't stop when we finish high school, right? We've got to learn how to continue to honour our parents. The Greek word for honour is tomeo, which means to prize or to show high regard, respect or value to someone. If obedience is our duty we owe our parents, honour is the disposition, right? So to honour our parents means to show them respect and to love and to care for them as long as they need. Okay? It's, it's, like, it's only in Western culture that we ship our parents off to nursing homes and then never visit them. Right? In every other culture, there's this high honouring of parents. And even if our parents are in homes, we continue to love them and bless them and visit them and include them in the extended family's life. All right, let's shift to raising children. Who's raising children here? We could be one day. So you learn the lesson now so that when we get there, we're prepared. Right? Does that make sense? All right. So varied relevance. But in one sense, while there is a direct relevance to parents of children, we are all the family of God. So we all got to play our part in this. Kind of say as an aside, I am so grateful to those of you who help out with Kids Church. Um, you know, I don't get to do that basically because I'm in here every Sunday, but I am blown away by particularly some of our young adults who turn up on a Sunday morning to lead our Kids Church and all the parents involved. You know, when I go home in the car and Luca and Hope tell me about how much they love Jesus and how amazing the f- bits of the faith are, happy parent, happy parent. So thank you so much for the way that you guys serve and get involved in that way. All right. So where am I getting to? As I get older, I kinda, you get to this realisation. There's lots of things you want for your children. You know, I want them to be happy. I want them to be healthy. I want them to have good friends, to be kind. But the greatest thing I want for my kids is one thing. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know and to love Jesus. I want nothing to hinder them from coming to the Lord. Right? And that's the, Jesus is the wisdom of God. He is the one who will put their lives together well so that they can function and, and be full of life. Right? I want them to know the Lord. Now, lots of parents will attest to the fact you can't make your children Christian. And I know godly, loving parents whose children aren't following the Lord. But that doesn't discount our responsibility to make it easier to love Jesus in your homes. You can endeavour to make your home ring with gospel joy. You can endeavour to make your family not only a family of Christians, but a Christian family. Right? One that really displays the virtues of the faith. Loving God, loving people together. Um, I was going to say some stuff about creating rhythms in life. I won't say that tonight. But just watch the rhythms in your life. Like, is church a priority? Is reading the Bible a priority with your kids? Is praying a priority with your kids? 
See, if we never talk about Jesus in a faith-giving, life-giving way, we can't expect our kids to grow up in the faith that we have. And then Bible teacher Ray Stedman, he says there are two things which cause rebellion in children, two things which provoke a child ultimately to rebel against his parents. He talks about indulgence and harshness, right? So we're told to bring up our kids, train them, instruct them in the Lord. But if we're overly harsh, they will rebel against us. And then the opposite reaction is to be overly indulgent. Let them just do whatever they like and let them kind of raise themselves. There is a place in between harshness and indulgence where we find kids getting discipled and loving church and coming to love Jesus. So let me encourage you. Let me encourage myself. Be wise in the way we disciple our kids. You can't just fish it out to Chris. <laughs> He's good. He does a good job. But we all need to take personal responsibility for how we raise the families in this church. All right. Final thing today. I wanted to say that God is in the business of redeeming families. Ain't that the truth? God is in the business of redeeming families. Because Jesus is a redeemer, it means no family is too far gone. You may think, I'm a mess, my family is a mess. Jesus loves mess. He's the redeemer of mess. Um, You know, there's a family in this church whose adult kid has just come back to the faith after years and years away of rebellion. It's literally happened in the last two months. I mean, how good is that? It's never too late. It's never too late. I love the fact that the highest conceptualization that Jesus can have for a story that represents the gospel is the story of the prodigal son. I mean, how good is that? It means you are never too far gone. Your family is never too far gone because God is the father who runs to the son and embraces him and celebrates that this kid who was lost, is found, was dead, is now alive. Can't God just do the most marvellous things, even with the most broken and messy families? I read a nice story this week about a guy called David in Eternity News. Does anyone read Eternity News? It's, it's, it's our Christian newspaper in Sydney. There's some in the foyer. Follow them on Facebook. They put up really good things. It's a really impressive Christian newspaper. This guy, David, was telling his story. He said this. He said, I grew up in Willoughby. My dad was a sparky. My extended family was a network of disasters. At 14, he said he was sent to church and he heard the glorious gospel. Ha <laughs> ha, come on. He said, David, that year I found myself sitting on the floor of my bedroom, reflecting on my extended family, domestic violence, alcoholism, divorce, broken marriages, you name it. I got on my knees and I said, okay, God, I know you're there. I know you're listening. I know you died for me. I'm yours. Please let the mess stop here. And he said, God has been at work in my life ever since. He goes on to say that he became an Indonesian teacher after studying at university. He ended up teaching at a Christian school, influencing many for Jesus. He talked about marrying his wife who came from a beautiful Christian family, now having four believing adult children, 11 grandchildren who were in the church. 
God, he said, graciously answered his prayers. And I love that story because it shows how God can take someone from such a broken family and create something so beautiful. That's our God. That's our Jesus. That's our Redeemer. And he can do it with you. He can start doing that tonight in your life right now. If you trust him, you begin to obey him and you begin to follow him. Jesus breaks the chain of destructive behavior and relationships. Our God is the great redeemer. Amen.